Christmas is a time for caring, being at your best. Christmas is a time for sharing, knowing you've been blessed. Christmas is a time for angels, making things all right. Oh, what Hello, we are doing another bonus episode. It's coming out on the same day as our Jingle Jangle A Christmas Journey episode. And this episode is all about Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. <laughs> My heart! Hello. <laughs> I am coming off of this thing hot, okay? The film was released on November 22nd, 2020. That's today for me in this moment. This episode is coming out on the 25th. It's been a few days. I hope you've seen the film. Can I recommend it as a film? No, but I can recommend it as an experience. <laughs> I would actually, it would not be unfair to compare this to a VR experience. If you told me that I could go somewhere and put on a little headset and experience Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square as a virtual reality, <laughs> as a virtual reality trip, then I would probably pay no more than $50. I would pay $50 to experience that. A sort of sleep no more experience where you could just go into every nook and cranny of the town. You could ignore the music numbers if you wanted. You could just follow random randos. That would be very strange. I would I would absolutely pay $50 for that. Let's get some movie facts right up top regarding Christmas on the Square. It was released on the 22nd. The director and choreographer of this film is Debbie Allen. The writer is Maria S. Schlater. And the music and lyrics were written by Dolly Parton. The film stars Dolly Parton as the angel. No further accreditation needed. She is known simply as the angel. Now, of course, we all know Dolly Parton from her extensive songwriting, singing career, but we would also know her from The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, the 1982 film adaptation of that show, and of course, 9 to 5, the 1980 film, as well as the 2009 musical stage adaptation. We have Christine Baranski as Regina Fuller. We know Christine from the 2002 film adaptation of Chicago, but also Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, The Good Fight, and Sybil, won't you? show me how. We have Janine Mason as Felicity Sorensen, Regina's assistant. You might know Janine Mason from Grey's Anatomy or Bunheads. Douglas Sills as Jack Fuller, Regina's father. Oh my god, Douglas Sills, the star of the Scarlet Pimpernel on Broadway, but also the 2003 revival of Little Shop of Horrors and War Paint. Hello, Douglas, it's nice to see you in the mix, even though it is also strange to see you in the mix. Treat Williams is Carl Pell. Ellum, Treat Williams, the star of Deep Rising, as well as the 1979 film adaptation of Hair, of course. He was also on Broadway most recently, I believe, in the 2001 revival of Follies. Jennifer Lewis, who are you playing? Ah, you're playing Margeline. You were on Broadway in Hairspray. Yes, that's right. You were Motormouth Mabel at one point, I do believe. Josh Segarra, you are Pastor Christian Hathaway. That's right, the pastor's name is Christian. You might know Josh Segarra 
Laura from his Broadway work in Lysistrata Jones, or most recently on your feet, Mary Lane Haskell. Who the hell are you playing? You're playing Jenna Hathaway. Mary Lane Haskell can be seen in Dolly Parton's Coat of Many Colors, but also Dolly Parton's Christmas of Many Colors, Circle of Love, and Dolly Parton's Heartstrings. She is a she is a very committed member of the Dolly Parton actor stable. Matthew Johnson, you are Mac. Matthew Johnson, okay, this is Matthew's first acting credit. I believe he's primarily known as a musician, a singer, and a dancer. So good for you, Matthew. This is your first on-screen acting credit. Good for you. We have someone in the same boat with you that we'll get to in a second. Sila Kimbrough plays Violet. She is a young child actor who you might know from the film Hidden Figures. Vivian Nixon as Bessie. Okay, Vivian was on Broadway in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, but also Memphis. Rounding out the cast, we have Mary Donnelly Haskell as Lenore. You might have seen Mary Donnelly in a show that we mentioned earlier, Dolly Parton's Heartstrings. I never heard of this. I did not know that there was a Dolly Parton TV show, but apparently it is a brand new, fairly brand new project. Donald Corrin as Dr. Marshall. You might know Donald Corrin from his Broadway turns in the play's Souvenir or Torch Song Trilogy. Brandon Hudson, you are playing Randy. That's right. We might have seen Brandon on Broadway in Hamilton. We might have also seen him in Head Over Heels. Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. I don't know. Brandon O'Neill, you are Andy. You appeared on Broadway in The Lion King, but you are also a dancer in the films La La Land and Fame, the remake of Fame from 2009. You also appeared in Broad City. What a wonderful TV show. Congratulations. And finally, rounding out the cast, truly rounding out the cast, we have Mark Daniel Chamil as Phil the Mailman. That is the official character title, Phil the Mailman. Christmas is his first acting credit. Mark and Matthew, you're in the same boat. You both have fishing rods. Congratulations. You now have a film on your resume. Congratulations. I believe I should give you some sort of plot synopsis, and that's going to be really wild for me to go through and recount all that goes on in this ridiculous, ridiculous movie. So as I mentioned, as I mentioned, Christine Baranski plays Regina Fuller. Regina Fuller is a mean lady. Nobody likes her. And she has shown up to her hometown to evict everybody. Oh my God. She's walking around handing out eviction notices right and left. Now this movie has no concept for how anything would actually work in a real context. Adults interacting with each other in a real way? No, that is not how this movie thinks. That is not how this movie operates. Sure, she could be sending all of these eviction notices to all of the people in the town via mail, but no, she is handing out Xerox copies of eviction notices saying, hello, hello, well, well, welcome to me. Welcome to me back to my hometown. And hello to you. We've known each other since we were children and I haven't been here for a very long time, but I'm handing you an eviction notice because I have bought the town. I don't even understand what her position is. It seems as if she truly does own the town, own the property, own all of the businesses. She apparently has control over the rent that all of the businesses have to pay month in and month out. She caused a drugstore to close down. I don't understand what sort of dictatorship she has over these people, this ironclad rule, but she has sold the town. That's what I really should be getting to. She has sold the town to the Cheetah Corporation. The Cheetah Corporation wants to build a mall. They want to tear down this entire town and replace it with a mall. And we know they're serious because at one point we see the contract. The whole write-up for this deal comes in the form of a 10,000 page contract. And the first page of the contract says, the Cheetah Corporation, even our contracts are big. Are the 
the people of the town happy in the face of this news? No, of course not. They are beyond upset. And one of the people who is most upset would be, oh, let's get that character name again, Pastor Christian Hathaway. That's right. Pastor Christian Hathaway, ooh, he's incensed. And he gets everybody in the town together at the church, and he just, ooh, he rails into this woman, Regina. Oh, she's the wicked witch of the middle. That's what they say. That's how they describe her. That's her fun little nickname. They sing an entire song about it in the church. You remember the Wizard of Oz? How there was the Wicked Witch of the West, and there was the Wicked Witch of the East, and the South, and the North. Well, Regina's the Wicked Witch of the Middle, because this is Middle America. This is the real heartland, okay? And her and her big city ways. Oh, she she thinks she's such a lady of the city. No, 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 no. You used to grow up with all of us. You know all of us. You. Oh, you scum-sucking city urbanite. You metropolis, you metropolis maniac. You gorgon of the underworld. How dare you come in and tell us that we have to leave by Christmas Eve. That's right. Regina gets so angry in the face of their resentment that she moves up the timetable. This doesn't make any sense. I know that I'm supposed to be suspending my disbelief, but at a certain point you're asking me to suspend it on the moon, and I can't reach the moon. The moon is all the way up in space. I'm reaching for it right now. I'm not a tall man. There's a legal process, Regina. You can't just walk into a church as everyone's bad-mouthing you and say, oh, hey, you you people aren't satisfied? Well, you're not going to be satisfied when I move up the timetable. Christmas Eve, pack up your shit. And does this include homes? I can't tell if it's just the businesses that have to leave or if it's honestly every single person who just lives in the town. You can't take people's homes away. Even if you could, there's a process. You would at least have to give them, what, 30 days? It is truly bonkers. And, oh, let's see, what else is going on in this movie outside of everything? Well, Dolly Parton does play an angel, and the angel is bound and determined to change Regina's heart. Well, first, we have to change her heart so that her heart can go on to change her mind. As the dialogue makes it perfectly clear, you can't do one without the other. But Dolly Parton's character isn't the only angel. No, 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 spoiler alert, there are two angels in this movie, actually, because Felicity Sorensen, the put-upon hapdog assistant to Regina, she's actually an angel in training. Oh, it's very much in the vein of It's a Wonderful Life, she's trying to earn her wings, and in case you don't get that, they do make an explicit It's a Wonderful Life reference. And so these two angels are working together. They're working together to change this Ebenezer Scrooge of a woman. We have to get her back on track. We have to help her realize that what happened to her should not define who she is now and who she should be moving into the future. But what did happen to Regina? Why is she so angry? Why is she so upset in the face of Treat Williams? Oh, is it because they used to date when they were teenagers? Oh, it's true. They used to date back in the swinging 70s. Oh, they went to a Christmas dance. A Christmas dance where everybody was in bell bottoms and doing the robot. You know how back in the 70s, everybody was already doing the pop and lock, break in electric boogaloo dancing? You know how that works. 
Well, that dance didn't go too well. Regina was having fun at first, but then, then she saw Treat Williams as Carl, the young, sexy, twink high school Carl, was giving a ring to another girl? Oh my god, she's been betrayed. Oh, and in that moment, Regina, young Regina, made a foolish choice. She took the hand of another young man, and she danced with him instead. And Carl tried to find her, but she was lost in the mob of young dancing teens. And later that night, Regina had sex with that young man, and she got pregnant. And Douglas Sills, who plays her father, ooh, he would not have that. He would not allow her to bring that child to bear and raise the child as her own. No, 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 no. It is a small town. There is too much shame that goes with being in a small town and being a single mother. No! Hey, where is that guy? He's vanished. No, you can't be a single mother. No, 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 no. We're gonna give the baby up for adoption. And Regina cries. Oh my God, she cries. She says, Father, I don't want to give away my baby. I don't want to give up the baby for adoption. And the father says, well, that's not your choice. Give me the baby. I'm yanking it out of your arms as you are sobbing, and I am giving it away. I am giving the baby away. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. Goo goo. But as Dolly Parton's angel says, you know, she says to Regina, that's only part of the story. You don't know the rest of the story. You weren't there on the other side of the door when he was giving the baby away. You didn't hear what he said. You now have the chance to hear what he said all those years ago. And I think this is going to change your mind. Well, what did he say? What, what could he have possibly said in that moment that would make up for the fact that he yanked the baby out of his daughter's arms? Well, as we find out, he just just felt bad about it. You know, he just generally felt bad about having to give this baby away. But he has to. There is no other choice. Regina deserves a fresh start. She can't be bothered and burdened by a baby, bothered and burdened by a baby. No, no, no. So that's supposed to make up for it. That really did blow my mind as a plot point, that we were supposed to forgive Regina's father because he just felt sad. Oh, I, I know. I, I feel bad about it. I'm not a monster. I would argue that you are a monster because you did not listen to what your daughter was saying. She was nearly an adult. She was in her late teens, for God's sake. This refusal to hear her and her wishes, that really does make you a monster. It doesn't matter what your intentions were. It doesn't matter that you felt guilt or resentment. That doesn't make it right. And the movie really does try to make it seem as if, no, 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 that's fine. Oh boy, it is. that is the worst element of the story. That is just truly shocking and disheartening. I don't know, I didn't necessarily feel that Regina was a demon at the beginning of this movie anyway. Christine Baranski is playing her in such a dead-eyed, bored way, as if, I don't know, it's as if Christine Baranski is somehow paying off a loan by being in this movie. She never really comes to life. And I know we love Christine Baranski because I love Christine Baranski. She has so much life in her in films like Chicago, Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia 2, that when you see her in this, it is really, really disappointing. After a while, I just didn't understand why she agreed to do the project. The only scene that she has in this movie where she has a little bit of life in her eyes is when she interacts with Violet. Violet is this little girl who acts as a bartender in the town. And I don't know why we thought this would be charming or sweet or funny. I just got concerned. I was a little concerned as to why this child was left all alone to tend 
bar. In this combination bar and bed and breakfast, I wasn't really sure what kind of business we were standing in during that scene. But this little girl, Violet, she has a nice enough repartee in chemistry with Christine Baranski. And I think Christine Baranski liked working with this kid. And they do have a nice back and forth. Now, the minute an adult walks into the room, Christine Baranski's shutters go up. It's like she slams the shutters shut, she locks the doors, and she stops up the fireplace. No one can get in. No one can affect me. And yes, I get it. This character is supposed to be closed off. She is supposed to be this hardened individual who was... (laughs) <laughs> who was completely devastated by the loss of her child. And by the way, she never did get back together with Carl because Carl was furious with her. She wouldn't come to the door to see him. I also don't think that her father would allow her to see him. So they have been estranged for decades, presumably. When they see each other again in this present day, they barely know how to talk to each other. Carl is running a general store, which they go out of their way to explain is not really a general store. It's more like a secondhand pawn shop, antique shop. So why is it a general store? Why is it known as a general store? I may have missed some key exposition regarding this salient little plot point of ours, but I guess I should just underscore, underline that these two barely know how to talk to each other. And then at the end of the movie, when everything is fine and there's this big happy ending, It kind of implies that they get back together, but I don't really think that's necessarily the best idea. I don't think these two people are meant to be together. I think there might be a little bit too much trauma. You can get over it. You can forgive each other all you want, but maybe just not worry about romance. Maybe we just don't need this late stage romance between these two. I'm just going to throw that out there. But that is not all that is happening in this movie. No, we have even more, if you can believe it. Violet, the little girl, she gets knocked in the noggin. Conk, she's in a hit and run accident with her father, and she is taken to the hospital. Oh my god, it would seem as if this young child is going to die. And Christine Baranski, Regina, she looks to the heavens. She's been interacting with Dolly Parton's angel character off and on throughout the entire film, and she calls out to the angel. She calls out to God, please, my my God Almighty above, angel, please, if you can hear me, take my life instead. I know that I've made mistakes, but Violet deserves to live. And to that end, she tells her assistant, who she doesn't realize is an angel in training. She says, I want you to call the top child neurosurgeon in the entire country, nay, on the entire planet. I want to know who's walking the surface of the earth. That is better than everybody else when it comes to child brain surgeries. I want you to give him a call. I want you to put him on a private jet, and I want you to get him here. And... (laughs) According to the timeline, I think that neurosurgeon shows up within half an hour, something like that. There is a detail sticking out to me, a costume detail that I I cannot drive past this without pointing it out. So the guy playing Violet's father, whose name I can't remember, I'm not going to look at my notes anymore. I'm flying solo. I don't need the notes anymore. I'm going to figure this out on my own. So the guy playing Violet's father, he has walked away from this accident. He is presumably not injured in any really serious way, but he is a little bit banged up. How do we know? It's the costuming, baby. It's the costuming details. His shirt, his Hanes white undershirt. Oh my God. It's like somebody took a pair of shears, a pair of sewing scissors or craft scissors, and just did a single straight slice up one single sleeve. Slice? Okay, so that shows that there was a tear. And now we're just going to smash some strawberries and blueberries and blackberries and raspberries on one spot of that Hanes white undershirt. Perfect. You look like you've been in 
a car accident. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He looks like he he looks like he walked out of a telenovela. There is one other thing, one or two other things that I should talk about. Okay, so what am I what am I trying to remember here? Okay, so the pastor and his wife. Wow, this is a truly crazy on-screen couple. Once again, the actress playing these characters, we have Josh Segarra as Pastor Christian Hathaway, and we have Mary Lane Haskell as Jenna Hathaway. They are dealing with fertility issues. They want to have a baby and they can't have a baby. It's a big problem. At least it's a big problem for Jenna. Jenna really seems to be a, a highly self-hating individual, and it is distressing and it is alarming. The pastor and Jenna have a duet very early on. I believe it's the second song in the entire film. There are 14 songs, by the way, way too many songs. But this duet they share... <laughs> <laughs> the sentiment is just so unhealthy because the pastor keeps singing variations on I love you, you know, you're the most beautiful woman I know. And she will respond to him via song saying, I know that you're lying, that cannot be true. I hate myself and I know that you do too. I'm exaggerating for comedic effect, but she is so down on herself that in the face of his wonderful compliments, she is saying to him, no, that's not true. You don't actually love me. I'm not pretty. Stop it. Oh, and I, yeah, that's fine that you keep telling me it's fine if I can't have children. I know that that's not true. I know that one day you will realize that I am trash. I realize that I am trash right now, and you're in denial. That's fine. You're in that part of the process. You're at the denial stage, but one day you will realize that I am a utter garbage pile and you will leave me because I can't have babies. It is very sweet. The song is very sweet, but the subtext is dangerous. I don't like the fact that she dislikes herself that much. And that doesn't really go anywhere because at a certain point the angel just <laughs> oh boy. The angel does a tour of the town and starts zapping people with golden Tinkerbell angel dust. She zaps Violet's skull with angel dust and she sits bolt upright in bed and says, Daddy, I'm fine. She doesn't say, Daddy, I'm fine, but she wakes up right quick. And the angel dust is applied to... <laughs> It's applied to Jenna's womb. It's this very strange moment where she almost seems to realize that, oh my God... <laughs> I've just been zapped by angel Tinkerbell dust, and now there's a baby forming inside of me. Maybe a little too quickly. Oh my god, honey, oh, I'm all alone. Rawr, it's, it's popping out of me belly, I do say. It's very, very strange. Oh, and the pastor? The pastor is Regina's son. Uh-oh, spoiler alert. Oh, goodness, when we find out that he is her son, it is just a shock. I didn't actually guess this in advance. Maybe it's because I wasn't especially interested in finding out who her son was and where he was in the town. Josh Segarra and Mary Lane Haskell, they come off as the most brainwashed cult Jamestown people in the world. They do not have a married dynamic. I did not buy them as a couple for a goddamn second. No way. They are constantly kissing each other on the cheek. When they do kiss each other on the mouth, it seems like there's a little bit of pain involved. Like, oh, we're doing it now. The the cardinals and the bishops, they told us that we had to get married because, oh, we went to them and said that, you know, we're gay and we can't deal with this. Please help us to come out of the closet. And they kept us in the closet and now we've been married for way too long. 
long, but they talk to each other in this way, this very highfalutin, very elevated way, as if they are, as if they are performing some sort of strange pro-life play for everyone at a church, like, hello, my wife. Oh, it is a Christmas miracle this very do day, I do say, to do, to do. Oh, hello there, my husband. Yes, I walk behind you because I support you as the woman. Don't worry, we will make it through somehow. Yes, oh, that Regina, she sure is a spoiled sport sour grape. And he really does seem to hate her. For a man who seems to be able to give everybody slack, he, he is the first one to say, oh, she's the worst person in the world and we should run around on a rail. <laughs> okay, that's enough in regards to the plot because we have to talk about the songs. Did I necessarily think this movie was going to be good? No. As I said in my Jingle Jangle episode, I did have this fear that Christmas on the Square was going to pale in comparison to Jingle Jangle. And it really does. I mean, in every way, in every conceivable way, from the writing to the acting to the production design, the production design especially is just so bad. I don't know where we are. I don't know what back lot we are on that we have built this strange series of flats that are supposed to represent a town, but everything just looks so painfully fake and inorganic and strange. There's too much space. At the same time, everybody seems really cramped and crowded. Debbie Allen does not know how to shoot a film. She does not know how to shoot dancing at all. This is absolutely some of the most stilted cinematography I've seen for a musical in quite some time. That opening number, Christmas Is, that's the name of the opening number, is an utter fever dream. There is way too much going on. We are establishing at least half a dozen to a dozen characters all at the same time. We are really laying out this eviction plot line with Christine Baranski, and it is just, it is splintered. We have these little shards of character moments and character backgrounds. We are dumping so much exposition on the audience, and it is just, it is overwhelming. I was in a state of pure delirium. I mean, to be fair, it was morbidly fascinating. I couldn't take my eyes away from that opening number, and the movie never achieves that sort of mania again. After that, we sort of settle into a, a strange, dull groove. So while the opening number may be ridiculous, and it may be a train wreck in terms of how it's staged and how it's shot and written, it's a mess in terms of how it's written. At least it was fascinating. It captured my attention. The problem with the movie is that there is a song for every fucking scene. As I said, there are 14 songs in this thing. Way too many. We don't need every single song to devolve into a song where one person is yelling at Christine Baranski. There are so many variations on that. Like Jennifer Lewis, you seem to be a perfectly talented person when it comes to singing, not necessarily in the acting department, but as a singer, you seem to be perfectly talented. You were on Broadway for God's sake. You deserved better than the song that they gave you. Oh my God, the song they give her, I don't know the name of it and I can't sing a note of it. That's the other problem. None of these songs are catchy. The only thing I really remember is Christmas is a time forgiven, knowing you are blessed. That's all I remember. But the song they've written for the character of Marjoline, Jesus Christ. I mean, talk about not believing a dynamic. I didn't believe the dynamic between the pastor and his wife. And they go out of their way to say that Regina and Marjoline used to be friends when they were like in diapers. They've known each other since they were in diapers. There is not a single moment where these two women seem to like each other at all. There isn't even a flash, a glimmer 
in their eyes of, oh, we're capturing that dynamic that we used to have. We're sharing a laugh over a joke. We're reminiscing on a nice time that we had together. There is none of that. There is either yelling or we forgive each other now. There's no middle ground in their trajectory, but that song. Jesus Christ, Margeline is doing Regina's hair, which makes no sense. She just gave Margeline an eviction notice and said, oh, your salon is being shut down because I'm tearing it down. I'm building a mall on top of it. But oh, by the way, can you come by my house and do my hair? Thank you very much. And Margeline agrees to come over and do not only her hair, but give her a facial. A facial with like straight up cucumber slices. Like, no, no. I don't care if you've known somebody for a thousand years. You would never go out of your way to service somebody like that after they have told you that your business is going to get shut down on Christmas Eve. Fuck you. Like, fucking fuck you. I No, that would never happen in a million years. But that song, I keep saying, but that song... How does it go? It's something like, listen up, you stupid motherfucker. You're a piece of shit and I don't like you. I'm just doing the Christmases melody again. <laughs> These songs. Oh, did I mention the fact that Regina might also have a brain tumor? Oh yeah, that's another plot point. Way too much going on. I keep forgetting what's going on. Regina might have a brain tumor? She went to have a physical with the local doctor. I don't know why she would have gone to the local doctor. If she's coming in from out of town, she would have a general practitioner in the city that she fucking lives in. But this bumbling, goofy doctor is like, oh, hello there. Uh, I just wanted to tell you that there's a shadow on your brain scan, so you might have a tumor. Let's do another test. She gets really freaked out, like, oh no, I might have a brain tumor. I might be dying. Turns out she doesn't have a brain tumor. That's it. She doesn't have a brain tumor. Okay, fine, fine. I don't want to necessarily harp on how bad the score is. I do like Dolly Parton so much. I love Dolly Parton. I love her in the best little whorehouse in Texas, and I love her rendition of Hard Candy Christmas. What's not to love about Dolly Parton? For God's sake, she donated a million dollars to the vaccine, to the research efforts that went into developing this most recent vaccine. For God's sake, she is literally a saint. We should canonize her now. But these songs, Dolly, oh my God. I don't know what happened. I think she gave herself too much work. I really do. This this movie was an hour and 40 minutes, if I'm recalling correctly. I do believe I am recalling correctly. And that is just way too much music for an hour and 40 minutes. Two and a half hours. If you were developing a two and a half hour Broadway musical with an intermission, that would maybe give you enough time for the book scenes to properly breathe. We can maybe massage a lot of this character development so it doesn't seem so rushed and strange and stilted. But it was just so clumsy and it was just so awkward. Oh my God, the Wicked Witch in the Middle song where everybody's in the church and they are just talking about how they want to deal with Regina. I think we should strip her. I think we should hit her with a bat. What person says... I think we should make mud balls out of spittle. <laughs> there are two gay guys in this town, by the way. Two gay guys. I believe that's Randy and Andy. Those are the character names. And one of them is really dumb. I think that's the joke with one of them, that they are very, very dumb. And they keep talking about... <laughs> We can't have this town be replaced by a mall with a hundred movie theaters that serve sushi. They keep saying that. Oh my God, we're going to get replaced by 100 movie theaters, 100 movie theaters that serve sushi. You know how the cities are clogged with movie theaters and they all serve sushi. Oh, those city folk. Whatever happened to poppycorn and hottie dogs and soda pop? Enough with this sushi. Regina, I bet you just love sushi. But the dumb one, the dumb half of this gay couple, 
<laughs> I think he just says something like, oh, I like sushi. I like the movie theaters that serve sushi. And everyone's like, shut up, you dumb gay man. <laughs> what the fuck would you know, you stupid gay man? There's another guy. There's a guy in the dance ensemble. I'm just now remembering this. He does a cartwheel. This is really, I think this is in the final moments of the film. He does a cartwheel inside the church and he's wearing a red sweater with no undershirt. So his sweater completely lifts up and we see his bare torso and his six pack abs. <laughs> Why? I mean, I'm not complaining. It's nice to see a, a nice ripped torso, but that guy absolutely was sitting in his dressing room thinking to himself, I am not going to wear an undershirt. And when I do my cartwheel, everybody's going to see my little tummy. Everybody's going to see my tummy. And I'm going to watch this movie when I'm in my 60s and think, ooh, I had a nice tummy tummy I did. <laughs> Very weird choice. Very weird movie. Again, I would say to you, watch it. Watch the movie. I think this is really going to shake you out of any doldrums that you might be in because it's really just going to blow your mind how strange it is, how everybody interacts with each other as if they're aliens from different planets. I do hope you enjoyed this insane rant from me regarding Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. Thank you for donating at least $1 a month. I do believe that we have more bonus episodes coming to you in the very near future. I'm just not sure what they are going to be about. I do think that I want to tackle the NBC Grinch musical, but I have not decided yet. That is not official, okay? Dolly Barton's Christmas on the Square, you are fucking weird. I gave you a thumbs down on the Netflix page, but I'm recommending it to our patrons now. Okay, ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Stay safe. Please stay safe. Do everything you can to keep yourself safe. Encourage all all of the people in your life to do the same, okay? All right, I know you, you people are great. You're doing what you need to do. Okay, bye-bye, ho, ho, ho. What you're doing now is such a low blow. Demolishing the lives of all the people you know. The deadline to be out of your homes is now Christmas Eve. <gasps> Gotta get out of this Christmas on the square. There's no reason to wait a month. I know in the time I'll lose my mind if I don't get.